The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio, or its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. I'm your host, Ira Wolf, and I'm here with uh, not my co-host, Keith Compagna, today. Uh, he's actually out at a large event uh, somewhere uh, for Jobvite. Uh, we want, speaking of Jobvite, we want to thank them for being a sponsor of today's show, along with Success Performance Solutions. Um, we have two guests today. Uh, this is uh, we're headed into some new territory. Uh, I'm going to be joined by Robert Solers and Jeffrey Miller. Uh, both my guests are authors, but they ha- both have a long and distinguished history with expertise in workplace violence. Uh, when I started this podcast uh, about five six months ago, I've actually done more podcasts than that. But uh, when we started with uh, W4CY. Um, I wasn't sure, uh, no, actually I was pretty sure that the work, that workplace violence wasn't a topic at the top of the list when we were talking about things related to geek skeezers and Googleization. Uh, we, we were focused on topics like artificial intelligence and robots, machine learning, big data, predictive analytics, um, how they might replace us humans or transform how we work. Um, they were fun and exciting things to talk about, but uh, when we're talking about the future of work, violence, unfortunately, in the workplace, and sadly, seems to be an integral part of the story. Uh, just last week, we had another event out in Aurora, Illinois, uh, which I, I don't know. When we're talking about AI and robots and machine learning, uh, they are certainly disruptive to to, to human life, uh, hopefully in, in good ways as well. Uh, but what can what's more disruptive to human life than a mass shooting? So um, it was just timely that I was able to get Robert and Jeffrey on the show. Uh, a couple doing some preparation. Um, both of them were generous in sharing some stats, and I did my own research. But just this week, um, 15 people will die, and 38,500 will be attacked in the job. Uh, we hardly hear about any of them unless it's a mass shooting. It's just become normalized for the rest of us. Uh, doesn't it doesn't seem to directly affect us? So therefore, it can't happen. It won't happen in our backyard. Uh, there, and it gets lost in all the other news uh, noise on the news. Um, but as startling as those numbers are, 15 people will die and 38,500 will be attacked. Um, those numbers are just climbing every year so this week's topic about the future of work uh is is an old theme it's a carryover from uh the past one that seems to be growing not shrinking and we've got a lot to talk about so uh i'm not going to 
do a whole lot of our other uh, chit-chat back as we usually do with Keith or bring you up with things. Uh, I want to get the most out of these two guests for for our listeners, uh, for you, uh, and hopefully we can learn how to keep uh, workplaces safe and, most importantly, the people in them. Uh, so I'm, I'm really pleased to, to have two guests. As I said, this is new territory, first time we've had uh, two guests at the same time. Uh, we have Jeff Miller, who is the founder of Jeffrey M. Miller Consultancy. It's based in Sealings Grove, Pennsylvania, and joining him from almost all the way across the country is Bob Sollers from Phoenix, Arizona. As I mentioned, both have distinguished careers in the field and have authored a few books on the subject. So welcome, Jeff and Robert. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Ira. Thanks, Ira. I appreciate it. Yeah, good. Uh, Yeah, no, absolutely. So just a reminder to the listeners, we're recording live today. You can call us with any questions you have, uh, 561-623-9429. That's 561-623-9429, questions you have uh, related to uh, our topic today, workplace violence. Uh, Let me start off with you, Jeff. I know you sent me a little bio, but I'm going to kind of let you uh, take kind of do your little intro here. Um, We've seen, um, well, before we get there, we've seen workplace on the rise. And, you know, you you shared with me a a lot of stats. Um, One of the questions I want to ask you after you, to kind of lead into after you do your bio, um, is it happening more often or is it because social media and cable news is just looking for more breaking news stories? Um, but give us, give me your, uh, give us your thirty-second elevator pitch about who you are. I know you wrote a book and how you got into the business. Well, uh, my focus is really on helping business leaders uh, that are serious about, you know, avoiding the pain and loss and and you know the damage and things that come from this, the unthinkable, because people t- tend to not like to think about it. Uh, by helping them to create customized, uh, integrated threat management systems, what? But just to cut to the short. There's a lot of folks out there dealing with prevention and a lot dealing with the putative action kind of things on the other end. But um, I handled what I call the missing link in the middle, that hole uh, that's actually in the OSHA guidelines for having a complete plan. So uh, my focus is really on helping people uh, survive, reduce damage, mitigate things, uh, detect uh, an imminent threat so they can start taking action. Uh, the, The stuff that's really missing in uh, 95 to 97% of the, the plans that are out there. So uh, that's what I do. Uh, I've, I've been invited to write, you know, to help write some books uh, in the medical field and emergency management and things like that, and that's, and that's fine. Um, is it on the rise? I think that it's become socially acceptable these days for people to act out um, aggressively against their fellow human beings if things aren't going well. Uh, there's, definitely, there's definitely been a rise in active shooter uh, uh, scenarios um, uh, over the last couple of years. I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but there are many, many more now than there ever have been uh, since they started tracking things, I think, in the 70s when the term going postal came out. Um, but I, I think that it's uh, I think that it's more, I don't know, more acceptable. I also think that, um, I, I don't know, I, I think that um, between activism and all the other things that could be happening, um, and, and perhaps maybe we're seeing more because, like with uh, other crimes, it's it's not a social taboo anymore. You know, and Robert can probably speak on this as well. There's a huge percentage of cases that never go reported because, uh, you know, the company doesn't want the uh, 
the, the press or after, the, yes, the, yes, the sure. reputation or anything like that. Sure. Yeah. So, so, so that's so, a tough question. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it's broad. I got about ten questions from that. Uh, so, 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 Robert, uh, give us a little your sixty second elevator pitch. You got a a real interesting story. You got like four, de- three or four decades in the business, um, but then uh, you know respond to uh, you know what Jeffrey was saying about uh, if you think it's on the rise uh, or is it just becoming more normalized. Well, yeah, I do. I have thirty six years of experience in the security field. Um, I started as a field-level officer back in 83, and I progressed my way up the line, as it were. Uh, and, yeah, it, I think it's becoming more prevalent because we're becoming more aware of what's going on out there and what workplace violence actually entails. There's a lot of people, especially those in the media, that believe that workplace violence only occurs when somebody brings a firearm or a weapon into the business. But workplace violence can be a verbal assault or, you know, somebody smacking somebody else upside the head with a fist or something along those lines as well. Uh, I believe it was 2005 there was a report by the University of South Florida that reported we had 15 million incidents of workplace violence every year. And, of course, now, remember, that takes in, you know, verbal and physical assaults as well as uh, those committed with a, uh, a weapon as well. So, but, I, like I say, it's because we're becoming more aware and that, you know, again, the media, if they don't have any political news to cover, they need something else to fill their time. Yeah, so, and I think you answered it, um, and this goes to both, I guess, a definition to both of it. Well, I'm not sure you answered You brought up the question. It, it seems that workplace violence is related, you know, when that topic comes out is how do we prevent a mass shooting? Um, but, you know, as you just mentioned, it's as simple as, it's not as simple, but um, it's as maybe relatively innocent as a verbal abuse, verbal harassment. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, I mean, how are, that's that's massive in in companies responding to that. I mean, of having policies for everything from somebody being verbally abusive to coming in with a, an automatic weapon. Uh, where do you start? Well, with most companies, it's going to be a matter that, and being realistic, if somebody's going to get mad and start screaming and yelling at a coworker, there's probably not much you're going to be able to do with it, other than try to calm them down, and then watch for the other warning signs as if they are going to bring a firearm or something into the business. So, you know, you you have to consider what is your threat with a physical assault with a firearm or your fist or throwing something or whatever the case may be. Jeffrey, I'll throw it back over to Jeff at this point. Yeah, Jeff, what what do you think about that? (laughs) Um, I think beyond, you know, just like every other 12-step program, beyond accepting that, uh, violence can happen anywhere, anytime, and knowing that, you know, uh, that there, there is that possibility or probability that we could be attacked, right? We have to have that clarity, otherwise no one's going to do anything. But um, I, I believe that in, uh, the, the first step is in an assessment where, as a part of that assessment, we determine which of the five attacker types any given company uh, has as their primary, secondary, and tertiary uh, threat possibilities, okay? So 
uh, and often if you do research, you'll, you'll see it uh, somewhat formulated uh, a bunch of years ago, and they used uh, four of these things. But what they did was they lumped current employees and former employees into the same uh, place. And I, I, don't, I don't believe that to be true because former employees have, while they have information about the operations of the business, that may or may not be up to date, and now they're operating as an outsider, not as an insider. So, uh, you know, it, it, where you start is in understanding what the problem is. Um, you know, a doctor wouldn't give you a medication to handle a problem that you have without first diagnosing what that problem is. So, uh, you know, Robert and I have both been in, uh, well, I've been in law enforcement and, and whatnot for a long time. We've both been in security for a long time. And assessments are a huge, huge part of things, but... Uh, we're talking about going beyond just seeing if you have, you know, holes in your fence line where somebody can get in, uh, but just understanding uh, who your attacker types are because each of these people or each of these attacker types have a different reason for being there, and they're acting out for a different reason, okay? So, uh, and, and so your security uh, plan has to be different. Uh, just as, you know, if, if we're talking about an, an, a manufacturing company, where everyone works on site, that's one thing. But if we're talking about a utility company where you have linemen and connect-disconnect people and whatnot who are assaulted all the time, by the way, uh, you know, whatever you put in place for your facility doesn't cover these people, and their quote-unquote workspace changes multiple times in a given day, right? Different types of neighborhoods, different types of environments, uh, that kind of thing. So it, it really begins with assessing needs, and the needs begin with, who's your most likely problem. So, and I think you, Ray, I, I think you brought this question up, uh, or not this question, I think I saw it in, in one of the stats that you provided me. Um, but, you know, the, the comment that you made was that, and most people think that, that these are random acts. You know, that, that when somebody comes in with an automatic weapon. But, you know, there's obviously signs uh, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of signs that uh, should be recognized, and uh, it could be prevented. Therefore, it's not completely random. Um, there, there was some suspicion there. So, what are what are some of the steps? I mean, where where do you start with this? Because uh, again, you you brought up uh, you know the utility. You know, if they're, if they're coming into a manufacturing facility like Aurora, it's one thing. But now you have people uh, you know going into people's homes and road. You know, or they're on the roadway. Uh, I just saw this morning that there was a, a you know it was a DUI, so it wasn't deliberate, but. Um, you know, that somebody gets angry at a cop, you know, who's got somebody, law enforcement pulls somebody over on the side, they decide that, you know, they're going to knock him off. Um, I mean, it, it's, 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 it's really, it's much more massive than I thought. And, and you're opening my eyes and I'm relatively, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty aware of what's going on and I feel really innocent and naive when it comes to workplace violence. So, uh, so, so there's a lot of people like me, there's a lot of business owners like me, um, you know, what, what's the first steps? What's, what's the assessment look like when, when we're thinking of, uh, again, ra random acts, we don't want a shooter? Well, if we're just talking about a shooter, uh, you know, I, I don't want to bogart all this time. So, uh, Bob, how about if you start on that? Well, it, it, my opinion with all of this is it, it has to be, and I think Jeff and I agree on this, it has to be a multi-comprehensive approach to prevent any of these. And, it starts with the hiring process. You have to know who you're hiring and who you're bringing into the business, no matter you know what kind of a business it may be. And then you just have to go from there as to what you have to know what all 24 warning signs are. 
you have to be aware of uh, other things that are happening with the employee, and you have to encourage the coworkers not to be a snitch like, you know, a 50 or 60s era communist country, but they have to report anything that may be out of the ordinary with another employee. So, Robert, you, you mentioned there's 24 signs. What, give an example of a couple of those, you know, what are some of those, those symptoms or signs? Excuse me. One of those, one of the major ones is that 48% of the incidents that I try to track and keep track of come from domestic violence, one oh. way or another. Uh, the incident last, one of the incidents, I think it was in Madison, Wisconsin last year, uh, was domestic violence. Three or four people were killed, including the shooter. And of the mass shooting incidents, most of the, 48% come from domestic violence. The others are, you know, they're simple everything day things, but people have a tendency to ignore them. Attendance problems. If they uh, are bragging about killing animals, you know, cruelty to, cruelty to animals, if they are a bully or if they are being bullied, if they have an obsession with military or police tactics, if they have a new obsession with firearms or other types of weaponry, you know, like uh, swords or knives or something like that, if it's new, keeping in mind that there's a lot of, lot of us that in, uh, grew up in places where hunting is uh, a right, per se, and there's always that time of year when people get that weird googly look in their eye when it comes time for deer season or duck season or whatever, uh, then you, basically the idea being is that any unusual or changed behavior, no matter how small, needs to be talked about and or reported to a supervisor, manager, whoever, whatever the case may be. So back to you, Jeff. If I can add, yeah. Yeah, if I can add to that, I, um, I think... I think in the in the context of the way these things work, there's there's kind of uh, it's not a double-edged sword. It's two extremes. Um, first, and I, I mentioned this to you, seventy percent of U.S. companies don't have anything in place whatsoever. You know, um, but of the ones who do, most of them really lead toward the whole passive uh, passive approach. So what they're what they're hedging their bets on is that zero tolerance policies, ban weapons on site list. Uh, threats of punitive or disciplinary or legal action, you know, if they do something, uh, that's going to prevent or deter or whatever. So that's on one side uh, when the reality is that an enraged person or someone who's specifically targeting you or your company, um, they don't care about those things. They don't care about your policy. They don't care about, uh, you know, in fact, a banned weapons on site list um, actually tells them no one's armed and, and they can't resist. So anyway, but th there's that one side where we're just hoping that all this passive deterrent language uh, is going to do it. And on the other side, if they have a security department, they'll default to security. Uh, but security is the same kind of problem that law enforcement has, which is response time from the time the incident is reported, not from the time the incident occurs. So anything you can do to cut down on response time is great. And there's some new technology out that allows a company to do that. They put a cyber net around the, the, the building and, and all the supervisors can connect. But one of the things that I, I specialize in is, is in helping them develop uh, threat assessment teams that, of course, includes supervisors and foremen and, and whatnot, uh, core response teams and things. And then the training gets tailored. So the training that you get to your everyday, you know, line, frontline employees is going to be different than what the maybe the 
most of the supervisors get because they have to worry about termination uh, and disciplinary meetings and things like that to put them one-on-one with someone in a situation where emotions can shift and actions can shift very, very quickly, like Aurora, right? That was a termination meeting, but he knew it was happening ahead of time. Um, you know, and, and so there's, there are things that can be put in place in the middle that help to keep your finger on the pulse of the, of the uh, employee side of things, as it were, the human side of things, as it were. Um, was I just going to go with that? Oh, I just, I just uh, had a company that I helped out um, in Texas that uh, one of the warning signs that they had was this individual that they were very, very concerned about. Uh, they were about to do a layoff of a, a bunch of people, and he was in on it. But one of their concerns was that uh, he was still talking about a company that he had been let go of uh, probably eight to ten years ago. And the, the, the discussions or the statements he was making was that um, he actually stalked the, the property. You know, he, he um, what do you call that? He cased the place. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually had, he was still considering paying, quote unquote, paying them back for slighting him. Right. So they were concerned. So I got a call, you know, to help them do an assessment. The problem was that I was supposed to do an assessment on a plan that they threw together three days prior. And it was put together by people who had no experience in handling violence or violent people at all. So. Uh, what they were really doing was looking for, and, uh, you know, something's better than nothing, but they were looking for uh, gaps in their, in their uh, logic and planning. So I helped them with that, but what I couldn't help them with is things that were physical security related um, that, you know, I, I'm in Pennsylvania, they were in Texas. So we did this by a phone call, um, and... Uh, so anyway, but that was one of those warning signs as well, where uh, the person actually talks about uh, getting people back, or they make uh, they make innocuous statements, or they'll cover it with the "just kidding" phrase, but they you know they'll make comments like um, you know you better hope I never don't care someday, or uh, one of these days people around here are going to know just how upset I can be, you know those yeah. kind of things that they shouldn't be passed over. Yeah, and I think, I mean, all of us have been in the work, the, four, the three of us have been in the workplace for some time. So, you know, we, we grew up at a time when, um, you know, if you do that again, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. I'm going to kill you. I, and we sort of blew it off. I mean, you know, I, I, and and there's still, I think, is this a general, I guess my question is, is this a generational thing that, at, you know, if you're 50 or 60 years old in the workplace, uh, you'd say, oh, I've heard that for years and they don't really mean it. And yet, uh, you know, young, young people, um, uh, the millennials, you know, they've grown up with the Columbines uh, right. where it's, it's real. So. Has the have the older generations been desensitized, and the younger generations are more astute? Have, have you seen that when you're out? You, you guys are in the in the field doing this. Well, I, I, I tell you that those of us that are the older quote unquote generation, we have a tendency, I think, to know when somebody's being serious. You know, when they <laughs> say, "I'm going to kick your ever living." out in the parking lot, right. or right. if they just point their finger at you and they got a smile on their face, say, I'm going to kick your out in the parking lot. Right, so maturity you know, we, has we have a tendency to know when they're joking right. around. Yeah, maturity, and, experience, maturity and experience right. has yes. something to do with it. Yeah. So. Well, we also grew up at, 
we also grew up in a time where people didn't just throw those comments around, you know, unless you lived in certain areas where, uh, you know, mob violence or whatever was prevalent uh, or in certain, and I, I hate to peg social class areas and, re, you know, different residential areas and whatnot, but unless you, unless you lived in areas like that, um, you didn't hear people making overt threats. They would threaten to, you know, not be your friend or they would just not call you up anymore, not come to visit her, or whatever. And I think that the desensitization has come in with it now being okay for people to make threats like that, but they're hardly if ever carried out. So when they are carried out, it's a huge surprise to people. What I think has happened, though, is there has been more and more regulations and, and legal and legality things, uh, you know, that, that, corporate leaders and business owners have to worry about, right? Back in the day, if somebody threatened somebody else or they got into a fist fight, you know, the, the manager of the boss had no problem with going, you know what, both of you, you're out of here, right? Um, and it was a done deal. Now, they ha you know, companies have to be worried about being sued or they have to worry about, uh, you know, will this person do something else because, uh, you know, there's almost a sense of entitlement for some people that no matter how much they're threatened with getting in trouble, well, you know, they'll get a they'll get a 15 second chance or however you want to want to discuss that. So, uh, for a lot of these folks, uh, and 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 then again, the social acceptability. Um, way back in the day, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, you know, this is very much like uh, the issue with police brutality and things like that. Not that it doesn't occur, but. The, the, the reality that it's easy for the same story to circulate for weeks, months, and years at a time on the internet and look like it's a brand new thing mm. makes the problem look worse than it is. Just like that, people can see these things that they never saw before, and people that are maladjusted can say, you know what, I can do that. You know, look at the look at the... Uh, look at the 15 minutes of fame I can get if yeah, I whack these people. Yeah. Right, even if I whack myself, you know, they're at the end of the rope. So we used to just have something we used to call death by cop, where somebody would, they couldn't pull the trigger on themselves, but they'd get involved in a shootout, um, you know, hoping the cops would shoot and kill them. But now we've got these people that want to go in, make a statement. They're not worried about punitive action at the end. They're not worried about legal action at the end because the plan before they went in was to shoot themselves Anyway, they're just going to take some people with them. Right. So it's, you know, it's the same thing with, with people who kind of contemplate suicide. You know, the belief is I'm going to teach these people a lesson when the reality is the only people they're hurting are the people that love them and care about them and have to spend the rest oh, of their exactly. lives with Christmases yeah. and birthdays, right? The, the people that are doing damage to them may feel traumatized for five minutes, five days, whatever. They're going to get on with their lives and find another victim. Right. So it's, it's just this misguided perception uh, and kind of thing. So, you know, there really are multiple factors. So, you know, when I look at a client and I say, I don't care what his reasoning is, that's not my, that's not my concern. My concern is how to protect you when these things pop up. So, of course, like Bob said, we, we teach them how to look for not just things that that person is doing, those types of warning signs, um, I teach uh, the managers and the threat assessment team and all that to look for uh, fake facial microexpressions and body language and things like that, that those of us who we talked about before that had some maturity can detect whether somebody's going to do something or not. Um, 
there's a lot of cues and cues that we pick up on, and we may not even know what, uh, you know, most people don't know what they are. They just know that that's happening, right? Yeah. But, you know, it's our job to kind of break that down so we can teach people uh, how to do that. Uh, I have people re, uh, re-engineer their, their environments, their uh, offices where disciplinary meetings will occur, uh, their own offices so that they're not kill boxes. Those kind of things, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yep. Hospital exam rooms or medical center exam rooms are yeah, great gonna, examples. We're, yeah, we're going to so. and that and I'm glad you, you brought that up because when we come back, I, I want to bring up some of the other uh, types of facilities because obviously a manufacturing uh, facility like Aurora, um, I can't, I, I won't say it's easy, but you could put uh, security in there because there's not a lot of public traffic. We're talking about retail and schools and hospitals and doctors' offices, where you 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 know you, you can have security at the front, but uh, you have traffic. You have, you have you have outsiders coming in all day long, which is a much different mm-hmm. environment than just having your hundred employees in a lockdown building. I want to remind everybody: you're listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. Uh, we've we've expanded our scope. Uh, with the future of work, we're talking about workplace violence. Uh, we've got two great guests and experts uh, on today's show, Robert Solers and Jeffrey Miller, uh, both uh, ex- distinguished and, and well-experienced people in the in the law enforcement and security. Uh, we've been talking about violence in the workplace, how employers can make sure each and every employee is safe. And when we come back, we're going to expand that topic to how do how do they ensure that the customers and the and the students and the and the patients are also safe. We're going to take a quick break, hear from our sponsors, Jobvite and Success Performance Solutions. Stay right where you are. We will be back in two minutes. Behind everything you're searching for is something you're actually looking for. When you search with the real Yellow Pages, you get more than a contractor. You get a whole new curb appeal. It's not just getting directions to a dry cleaner with YP.com. It's rescuing an old favorite from the back of the closet. And it's more than finding a locksmith with YP.com on your mobile. It's getting to sleep in your own bed. Whatever it might be, there are more ways to search and more ways to find exactly what you're looking for with the real Yellow Pages, YP.com, and YP.com on your mobile, only from AT&T. What's up, everyone? This is Keith from the Geek, Skeezers, and Googleization show powered by Jobvite. Jobvite knows career paths are made by people, not by open job requisitions. Jobvite's platform ties recruitment marketing directly to applicant tracking and onboarding, creating continuous candidate engagement that effectively connects recruiters with qualified passive candidates. Used by over 50,000 recruiters placing over 1 million jobs, Jobvite's platform impacts every company in every industry. Check us out at jobvite.com. Listen carefully. Up to 9 out of 10 job candidates visiting your company career page leave before completing an application. You heard that right. 90% of candidates who want to apply for a job at your company don't. That's just plain crazy, especially in today's tight labor market. Candidate experience matters. Stop turning candidates away. Let Success Performance Solutions help. Call us at 800-803-4303 or register at successperformancesolutions.com slash W4CY. Schedule a no-obligation consultation and get special access to insider tips to recruit faster and hire smarter. (music) 
Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. Uh, I'm your host, Ira Wolf, and uh, my co-host, Keith, is off this week. Uh, but we've got two great guests. Uh, we've had a very active and lively discussion going into this with Robert Solers and Jeffrey Miller talking about workplace violence. Uh, the discussion was nonstop through our break. Uh, but I'm going to try to bring some of that back out because there were some excellent points made. Uh, I'm going to throw this to you, um, uh, Robert. Um, you mentioned, uh, you, you, you talked about perception, um, mm-hmm. but you also talked, uh, well, let's let's start there. You, you, you mentioned that in the, you know, during the beginning of the show, we talked a lot about perception, how important it is. It is. Uh, expand upon that a little bit. Well, I coined a phrase, like 26 years ago when I first got involved with studying this workplace violence is that perception is reality. Basically, the perpetrator, whatever they perceive to be the truth, no matter how wrong it is to anybody else, that is their reality. And it is nearly impossible to dissuade them that they are actually in the wrong and that everybody else may be right. And they're going to follow through with their perceptions that the world is against them and they've got to do something and, you know, they've got to preempt the world or whatever the case may be. You know, perceptions mean a lot to a lot of different people, but to a perpetrator of workplace violence, their perceptions are the ones that, if you want to put it that put it this way, they're, they're the ones that are twisted and are the ones that are going to do the harm. Right. So I think I mentioned that earlier with the, uh, with not caring, you know, I, I don't care mm-hmm. because the perpetrator doesn't care. Right. So often people want to put the cart before the horse and they want to know, well, why do these people do what they do? Right. Um, they have their own reasons. And what we may think is an, or a manager may think is an innocuous statement or a corrective procedure. He's done it 500 times with 500 other employees but this guy took it the wrong way and took it as a personal slight. Um, we can't fix that, right? Like Robert said, that's his perception. Um, but so we can't put the cart before the horse and, and be wondering, because in a traumatic situation, I've heard more than, uh, you know, more than a fair share of, of uh, victims. And even, even during the 9-11 attack, after it occurred, I remember talking to my brother on the phone. I was trying to track down my daughter who lived in the Pittsburgh area. She was going to school there. So that was my concern, right? And my brother, in his traumatic thing, I mean, we're in Pennsylvania, right? I mean, we're, we're way away from where it occurred. But he, you know, he kept saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe, you know, why? Why would people do this? It doesn't matter. What's, what's important now is that we respond to what is going on. So it's not that we don't care what these people will do, but we have to understand that the, just like when I said earlier, there are five attacker types. Why would they do it? Right in the medical realm, you're dealing with with things that are often not a consideration for the rest of the for other companies when we're talking about workplace violence. Right, people that typically act out in a uh, in a medical uh, environment are often not violent people, and they're acting atypically because of drugs or grief or fear or whatever. They're not. They're, you can't look for signs because they're going to act atypical when that's when that thing triggers. So uh, you know the preparation and the and the ability to act 
either on the foreknowledge up front because you're paying attention and you're watching for cues and clues, as Robert pointed out, and the ability to act appropriately to do everything from avoid an incoming punch to put something that will stop a bullet between you and somebody with a, with a firearm. Those are what's important, right? Because that's what's going to, that's what's going to keep people alive and keep people safe and mitigate the, the, the amount of damage. Right. So, uh, Anyway, you know, but, but I mean, you're, you're getting information from two guys who are familiar with violence. And one of the problems in the, the planning process for most companies is the task for developing a policy or a plan or the procedures or even the training. Who do we select for a training program is often tasked to a manager who they themselves have never they, they've seen it in movies or they've seen it on the news or whatever, but they themselves have never had to experience or escape from or deal with violence or violent people. So they don't understand that the, the logic that goes into the response procedure is often 180 degrees different from the logic that we would have sitting around the, you know, like people sit around the kitchen table <laughs> with their friends talking about how they would solve the problems of the world if they were the president. Um, but they, they're, they're not in the, they're not in the, in the pit with the monster. Right. So, uh, and, and it, my, whereas Jeffrey and I actually are in the pits, and we know yeah. what, <laughs> what, yeah. for the and most part, with many Well, you, yeah. you, we've got we've got like fifteen minutes left here, and and I've got like six hours of questions. This <laughs> <So, laughs> <laughs> has been great. I mean, you you know, one is just opening my eyes, and I, and and I'm sure for the listeners, how broad, how the the scope of workplace violence is not just that gunman who comes in um, you know mm-hmm. how do we prevent that and I, and I think so many people focus on that and therefore if we have locked doors and have security and we have a camera outside that'll prevent it but it, it goes way beyond that um yeah, Jeff, yeah and, and again i think robert you've worked you've done a lot of work in schools and and jeff you've done uh hospital, you, you do a lot in healthcare. Um uh, but you know as you were talking you know just in health well both in both environments um you know one of the one of the first things you have was their history of mental illness when these people did this you know and, and again it, it doesn't um it doesn't mean they went postal but you know they were depressed or whatever uh circumstances but when you're in healthcare or when you're in a school, uh, there are people that do have mental illness. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's well aware, and they come in, and and what's going to trigger that? Um, so it's obviously a different environment. But I'm going to come back to that question um, to, when when I say, okay, let's wrap it up, and each of you kind of say, here's the first few things that that employers need to do, because also. Uh, again, I'm coming from the small business perspective where we don't, don't have large corporate offices, don't have large facilities, don't have large budgets. You know, what, what can a, a business, small business employer with 50 or 100 people do? But, I, I, but something that you brought up during the break and, and it, it, the idea just keeps popping through. One of the things in, in workplaces is most decisions in the past, including these manager and supervisor decisions, hiring decisions were made by gut uh, or tenure. You know, if somebody was there for 20 years, it means they, they were better at handling situations. How much is, and, and from your industry, how much is um, like the data? How much is big data, artificial intelligence, uh, sensors, uh, even wearable sensors that people are not going to have as employees, 
Um, what's your feeling or what's, what's the uh, sense in the industry that um, there is going to be ways to uh, identify these, uh, these signs earlier than we can as human beings? That, you know, they're, because they're going to be able to collect all this data. Is, is there any well, movement toward that? I, I, can, I, I can tell you, <laughs> I Facebook and Google. Jeffrey and I are, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Jeffrey and I will probably disagree on this because a lot of people do disagree. But I still think it comes back to training the supervisors, managers, human resources, whatever, and telling them to trust their gut instinct. They're going to, just like with a lot of people, you're going to feel that something's wrong. You don't know what it is. You know, you're walking down the street and you just feel something's wrong somewhere, but you don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. You don't know where it's at, but you know that something's wrong. Okay. And then all of a sudden there's Mm -hmm. a, there's a car wreck that happens right in front of you and you happen to stop 10 feet short just to look around. That gut instinct is more important, in my opinion, than all of the uh, analytics and the other things, the modern technology that we have now. While modern technology has its place, we still need to be able to teach the regular human Mm -hmm. interactions and show and teach the supervisors, managers, whoever, that, you know, the human side and how they can detect these things from a human standpoint, not by just looking at uh, their computer screen or uh, some um, uh, numbers on a uh, printed out page. Okay. So now, go ahead and disagree, Jeff. Jeff you, you, <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, I would just bring in the law enforcement perspective that when you find when you have mm-hmm. a, a piece of evidence like that, whether it's gut or physical. Uh, that that's not the thing that makes you jump because then that can make us hypervigilant and then you, you create a paranoid work environment and things like that. So that's the purpose of a threat assessment team. Even if it's, it, right. you know, you were talking about having a small company, uh, 50 to 100 people, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, even if it's a group of three to five people and it's just the managers and mm-hmm. once a month they meet uh, to discuss some things because, they could bring up that, you know, I'm, ge- I'm getting this feeling or I got this vibe and, you know, he's, yep. he's okay when everything's going well, but when it's not going well, you know, he starts, he, he, there's this thing, right? So everybody can now pay attention to it. Um, and we can then kind of track that and it doesn't become, oh, yeah, but he did that two years ago. We can kind of track that and maybe even assign those warning signs a point system. So, when it hits a certain threshold, we're going to have a conversation with this individual or we're going to, you know, see if a job reassignment is going to work or, uh, you know, uh, recommending him for EAP or something like that. Uh, so it can work, you know, work in that direction as well. Uh, but I, I really do believe that's, that's why it's important for a company, regardless of size, to have a threat mm-hmm. assessment process, even if it's not a threat assessment team per se. Um, right. So that they can I, I absolutely yeah. yeah. So, and, and I think uh, from I, I think from what both of you said, and and I probably would have rephrased my question about how wearables or AI or data might help. 
I, I think what you said, Robert, was, you know, there's still that sense that there's that intuition that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Jeffrey, you know, you said if everybody does that, we're going to be hypervigilant and that creates a fear. And, and that, that's not necessarily a response you want. But there's a, there's a difference between detection and prevention. And maybe what I was looking for was, will some of these, will some of this technology help us prevent these incidents better? Or, and, and maybe increase our awareness uh, in the right places rather than just being fearful of everyone, um, you know, we'll be able to identify, uh, and, and again, we're getting into privacy and who owns the data and, and all that stuff, but, um, you know, there, there may be some advantages to uh, some, of this, uh, some of these new technologies, uh, especially with these wearable sensors and things coming out, uh, and then more cameras and, as you, as you suggested, you know, what's going on on social media. Hey, um, yeah, we're over. Go ahead. We're already heading toward, you know, the whole surveillance society kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't, I, you know, and I have my own beliefs about that. Um, yeah, I'm in security, but I'm a very, very private person. Uh, but yeah, uh, on the highlight. other side of the wearables, unless somebody's wearing something when an attack is occurring, right, they've got to get to this. Uh, there are a lot of emergency rooms that have panic buttons, but you've got to get to it. To yeah. hit it, right? Well, so what I was what saying they, is, is, is even having like, you know, people are going to have all these wearables in, in, in clothing. And will right. it be able to sense, um, you know, your pulse, your heartbeat? Will it be able to determine when somebody's, um, you know, out of, out, of, uh, out of the norm? Well, well it, it may it does, be, but I have to no agree. longer make phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to Sorry. agree with Jeffrey as far as the privacy part goes, though. Yeah. yeah because then you're concern. getting into... You know, if you're going to start monitoring everybody with the wearables that they have on or whatever, then you're going to be getting awfully close to violating their personal yeah. privacy. Well, they're doing it already with Fitbits. So well, half yeah, yeah, their yeah, information's but, out there. It's just who has possession of it. And, and yeah, oh, right. I, I agree with you. I do, a, I do a, one of my presentations this year is keeping the, H and, uh, keeping the human and human resources. Uh, right. and Wasn't it, there a movie out? There was a movie out a couple of years ago with uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah, um, yeah, yep, minority, minority, minority. I remember that one. They, there yeah, you go, right. Before, yeah. And they were jailing people before yeah. they ever came yeah, oh, yeah. to crime. Huge concerns. Huge concerns. About it. Hey, right. we, we've, yeah. we've got a couple minutes. I want to give you guys a chance to kind of wrap this up. Um, and so, like, in a, I, this is crazy, but, like, a minute <laughs> each, uh, can, you, can you say – um, here's the, you know, here are the two or three things that, that the listeners today should walk away with and do. Go. <laughs> Either one of you, you can take that. Okay. You know. <laughs> um, I think basically the main thing comes down to that every employer, no matter the size, needs to devote the time, effort to developing a violence prevention and recovery plan. Like I say, no matter how big the company is, because even companies with 10 employees can have somebody come in with a firearm or do whatever they want to do inside the company. If you have this plan and you train and you test on it, in other words, test the plan out at least once a year, then there's a good up chance that you're going to mitigate the issues that could arise from a fatal. Um, a fatality incident of workplace violence. Okay. If, if somebody, uh, and I'm, I'm going to have you kind of wrap it up there. Um, if someone wants to get in contact with you, and I know you do speaking, you do consulting, um, how, what's the best way to get in touch with you, Robert? Um, they can either give me a call at 
251-5197. Or they can go to my website and see all the stuff I have up there, including contact and everything, at robertdsollers.com. And we're going to put all that in the in our uh, briefings and our articles and the blog posts, so uh, they'll have that information there. But thanks very much, Jeffrey. What's you. your uh, what's your kind of wrap up your 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 tips and uh, contact information? Yeah, that's fine. Um, I, I'll pick up where Robert uh, kind of left off there. Uh, you know, Nissan could probably survive one or two of these incidents, and you know, the money paid out and and the recovery, while it would interfere with their processes. It's not going to be the same as a company that has 50 to 100 employees. And worst case scenario, based on OSHA standards or statistics, a $2 million uh, recovery could completely wipe out something that these people spent their lives and livelihoods building. So this isn't something to just kind of pass by or or pretend that we're in Vegas with those kind of things, right? So I think it's important uh, for three quick things, right? They they need to avoid using borrowed templated policies from somebody else just because it's quick and easy, right? They need to make sure it's customized to their workspace, processes, operations, right? Uh, Just like I said, they need to to not put all their money and hopes into deterrence, things like, uh, you know, zero tolerance and, and things like that. I mean, they're great but you're only deterring people that are mildly irritated, right? People that are serious or they're completely, they don't care, right? They're completely enraged and not thinking logically. These things don't compute, right? Um, and, mm-hmm. like I, and like I said, most of these plans and policies in these companies have either been tasked to or developed by someone within a company who has absolutely no experience with handling or surviving violence, right? So, and, and what that does is it produces a, a workplace violence plan that's incapable of handling the operative word in a term, and that's violence. So a company should, at the very minimum, have an expert in the field look over what they've done to determine if the plan is actually sound um, so they don't end up, you know, no better off than they were before they invested the time, effort, and money into creating the plan. And how do they they reach you in order to help with that review? (laughs) Well, if, if they want, if they want to do a, a face-to-face or a phone yeah. call, they can call me at five seven zero eight eight four one 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 nine, or uh, they can go to my website at jmillerconsulting.com, and I actually have a free report over there called Backwards Thinking uh, in the Planning and, and Protective kind of thing. They can they can sign up for that; it's absolutely free, and they can just uh, start there. Excellent. Hey, I, I can't. Well, I, thank- I reckon, okay, yeah, Robert. Can I? Add, I was just going to say, real can quick, I add one more thing. Real quick, one thing. Yeah. Murder in the Office, a practical guide for prevention, should be published within the next four to five months. Okay. My new book. Well, when it's out, you let us know, and we'll, we'll tag it yes, on to sir. this. Uh, and we'll do another interview. So. That works for me. So you guys have been amazing. Um, it certainly opened my eyes, hopefully uh, for all the listeners uh, on the show. Uh, it's been a great show. We've been li- It's uh, Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. We've been talking with Robert Sollers and Jeffrey Miller all about workplace violence. Um, we'll have the information uh, put into the podcast, uh, how to reach them, and uh, hopefully uh, I would encourage uh, many of the listeners and many of the companies to do so. Um, as I said, you've been listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. We bring you topics and thought leaders discussing a future of work where the tired, the wired, and technology converge. Until next Wednesday and every Wednesday after that, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on W4CY.com and iHeartRadio On Demand and iTunes and almost any other podcast you can think of. This is your host, Ira Wolf. 
Don't let the shift hit your plans. 